sex talk. Derek the Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex talk with Derek and Miley. Hey, folks, welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. Y'all, um, I'm just saying, I, I cannot wait for you all to listen to this interview. I am. I apologize for the fangirling that is about to take place. I have Cindy Darnell with me, who's a sex and relationship therapist. I have been following her work since you were in Australia and doing all of these things across the world. And we're going to talk about like the stigma around sex across the world. And I'm just so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's lovely to virtually meet you. <laughs> yes. So let's talk a little bit about like the process of you doing all of your work in Australia and across the other parts of the world and then bringing it to the US. What has that been like for you? <laughs> it's been, <laughs> it's been incredibly difficult. Um, oh, I'm I mean, sure. upheaval, like just the upheaval of moving across the planet. Like it's no small task. It, it's enormous. And I had been hoping to, to do this for a long time. And I had my heart set on New York City in particular for many, 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 many years. And then at the start of last year, I qualified for what's called an O-1 visa, which is the visa that the federal government give to what they call aliens of extraordinary ability. So <laughs> I'm not making that, that up. That is the, what it's wow. actually called. Really? And so, yeah. So I'm here oh on a visa that allows, that says, you know, you're an alien of extraordinary ability. And, and what basically that means is you have to show a body of work that, that indicates you are an expert in your field, in your country, and that you would be an asset to the United States. So I met that criteria, thank goodness. Um, no kidding. And the work you had to do to get there is pretty incredible. Yeah. So it does require an extensive application process and a very solid body of work. And you know, in my in my specialty area, which is human sexuality, that's no easy task, given that it's a very heavily stigmatized topic in, in all corners of the world, especially the United States. So to be able to meet that criteria and have it approved by the federal government is, uh, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. I, I, I worked really hard to get that. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. You need it with that federal government label. <laughs> <laughs> Approved by the U.S. government. Yeah, so I don't know how many other sex therapists can boast that they've been approved by the government, but there you go. So, <laughs> so how has it been to start to, because you and I, before we started recording, we were talking about like this specialization that happens in the U.S. and that the population being smaller in Australia, you didn't have that luxury. You could not specialize because you needed to be able to do it all. Yeah. So, and this is only something that I've just realized relatively recently that, that a lot of my colleagues and people whose work I've followed for years who have influenced my line of thinking in different areas who are specialists, say, in, you know, out of control sexual behavior or in LGBTQ stuff or in kink stuff or in sex worker rights and those sorts of things. A lot of those folks 
really specialize in one particular arm of human sexuality, which is great. And, and I really, you know, I can appreciate that. And their knowledge is, is really uh, rich and thorough. And they're really good in that one thing. And I think that that tends to happen or it can happen when you're serving a population of 300 million people, you have the luxury of being able to go, well, I'm going to streamline my, my work in this area. Whereas when you serve a community of 20 million, so that's, you know, what is that, 10% of the population that's here? It means that you're often the only one in the village, so to speak, who is serving an entire population. So in my case, from Melbourne, I mean, Melbourne's not a small city by any stretch. It's about 4 million people. But there really were only myself and a handful of others who specialized in in human sexuality Um and then within that to the degree that we did. And my, my area was sex and relationships broadly, I guess with an emphasis perhaps more on the, on the alternative communities. That was what I was most well known for. But within that, I saw people across all religions, all genders, all, all points on the spectrum from heterosexual and monogamous through to not very heterosexual and not very monogamous and everything in between. And because of that being the only one sort of thing or one of one of two or three, you have to learn how to accommodate a vast variety of, of people and problems. And that I actually think gives me a lot more texture and a lot more flexibility in in how I work because I have had the privilege of working with so many different kinds of people and I'm actually really thrilled that I've had that grounding and that sort of training because it really brings me a lot of wisdom and knowledge outside of what I've learned clinically the bulk of how I work in session is actually just through experience and talking to lots of different kinds of people about their experiences of sex and relationships Yes. Oh my gosh. And one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to kind of structure this conversation around your experience is that what would you say, and this is a big question, we could be here all day. What would you say is the common world issue around sex? I think it's a lack. Hmm. I used to say it was a lack of information, but I think that that's not true anymore because there is so much information online that you can access relatively decent, and you know, that's kind of subjective, but relatively decent sex information pretty easily online these days. However, that in itself has caused a problem because there is so much information and a lot of it is kind of like conflicting opinions about various things. What that has done, I think, is create a sense of overwhelm, has create a sense of it's all a bit too much. And what folks mostly struggle with now is not accessing the information, but they don't know what to believe. And the biggest problem, you know, Erica, is they don't know how to integrate it. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is what I see in my practice all yeah. of the time. It's- so people, yeah, you can look up how to do this move and that move and the different positions and that all that stuff. I mean, that's in, you know, teen vogue for crying out loud. It's so accessible these days. And I think it's a great thing. I'm not saying that that should not be happening. I think it's wonderful. But when there is so much information and a lot of it is conflicting, 
and folks just go, oh, I, I, you know, I can't with this, and then they shut down, you know, and so it's almost like we have the opposite end of the problem now. Yes. How do you? How do they bring this information into the context of their own lives or the relationships they're having? And I absolutely agree with you. This is what I see with my clients all the time. And folks are still really under resourced around how to communicate, how to how to manage big feelings is a really big thing. And where I had always been having a really big focus on on sex and pleasure and eroticism and then the techniques that actually go into holding space for people to be able to engage in sex in the physical, in the carnal sense of it. What I notice has been a shift perhaps in the last two or three years is that people are more comfortable talking about sexual ideas because there's so much of it in the mainstream media, even Oprah you know, I was featured in an article in Oprah magazine a couple of months ago about sexual fantasies. Like that's, you know, that is about as mainstream as it gets, which is, okay, fantastic. And yet we still can't talk about this stuff with our partners. And this is the problem now. Absolutely. And when I'm talking to medical professionals, when I'm talking to therapists, it, it is the same fear right? Like, how do we even broach this with our people? And the way that I that I talk about it is, is sexuality is part of our entire system. We need to learn to integrate it back into our lives as a system, not this separate thing that is over here that we'll get to when we have time. Right. That's right. So when you think about coming from Australia, coming to the United States, you said something before we started recording that I was like, oh my gosh, we have to talk about this. (laughs) What has been kind of some of the more shocking things as far as like, we were talking about how sex therapy has more stigma, maybe even the United States. Yeah. I mean, I have no data to, to prove that, but it just, my impression seems to be that people, I mean, and it's also because I live in New York, which is a very progressive place, you know, so it's kind of like anything goes here. But even still, talking about sex in public still kind of rattles people's cages, even here. It does in Australia too, but in a, in a different way. And I, I'm still trying to work out how do I explain the difference between the two perspectives on sex in, in the US and in Australia. I think in Australia, we tend as a culture, we tend to be quite stoic, you know, so emotion is not especially welcome in Australia. To have big emotions is not okay. And the way that Australians tend to deal with big emotions is either through humor or through alcohol. So that influences how we process things in a, in a personal level and and in public, whereas I find that Americans generally are much more comfortable with complexity and big emotions. They're willing to talk about things that make them uncomfortable, except when it comes to sex. <laughs> and then they tend to get quite black and white in their thinking. So that's one of the things that I've observed that's, that's an interesting contrast between the way Australia deals with sex and the way America deals with sex and that Australians can talk about sex and it will be thrown around in the mainstream media with perhaps a little more abandoned than here. And I think seeing a sex therapist in Australia is perhaps a little less stigmatized. It still seems to carry a bit of weight 
in the US that that it's it's a, an embarrassing or shameful thing in certain sectors of the community again like you know not everybody but this does seem to be something there that there's a there's a little bit more of a taboo around sex here than in Australia and possibly the UK as well I personally can't speak to what what I hear, at least from across the world, other than what I get Instagram DMs around, like the questions. They're all very similar to the questions that I get from folks here. What I encounter with my American clients is that it comes directly from that family system of shame. And and that that just pervades how we interact around this with our friends, with our romantic relationships, with our friendships, that we tend to sometimes, at least in some conversations some of my clients talk about having, that they tend to be able to have really intimate conversations with maybe even a friend easier than they can with their romantic partner around sex, which the dynamics seem to be really, really important to how sexuality is seen by Americans. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, like, as you say, I think sex problems are the same around the world. Like that there's American sex problems are no more or less complicated than Australian sex problems, than sex problems in Europe, than in, you know, in Asia. The problems tend to stem from the same shame, stigma, poor sex education, misinformation, and patriarchy. Like that's where all of the problems come from. Though they're, they're, they're almost, you can sort of say that the, the sex problems fall into one of those camps. And even though folks feel when they come for for sessions that their problem is absolutely unique and nobody else in the world has the problem they're having, and it feels so isolating. And then when I say to them, "I've encountered your problem hundreds." hundreds of times and they're just like really other people feel like this nobody I know feels like this and I'm like yeah because they're not telling you the truth because they find it as hard to talk about as you do even your closest friends you don't really know what goes on in people's bedrooms even your partner you don't know what's really going on in their heads unless they tell you and if they're not comfortable telling you then you're not going to get the information out of them so many times and I'm sure you've seen this in your work too when people share this stuff with us, it's the first time they've told anybody in their lives these secrets. And so even that process of just having permission to offload it is is really healing. Absolutely. It is just being able to open up the ground to talk. It's like you've burst open. I was just having a conversation with another colleague about why marriage and family therapists need to get better at tackling sex as well. <laughs> and and that the conversations around sex open up what the problems actually are. Quick break from the action, folks. <laughs> action. <laughs> I just want to tell you about my Patreon. Every week, I bring you guests and, seriously, lots of sex nerdery. (laughs) Help me keep doing that by becoming a supporter. What do you get in return? Cool perks. For real. I am going to be doing shout-outs, stickers, a bunch of stuff. So check it out at ericamiley.com forward slash Patreon. That's E-R-I-K-A-M-I-L-E-Y dot com forward slash Patreon. I hope to see you and see more of you by becoming a Patreon. Thanks, guys. 
I mean, it's the same, I think, in Australia. Like our training system for therapy is slightly different to how it works here, but you end up, you know, getting to the same destination. It's just a different pathway. But regardless, what is the same is that even if you do a specialty in relationship training, they still don't teach you about sex. You have to do a separate track of training in human sexuality and then sexual counseling specifically, like that's what I did, to get the qualification, to get the credentials, to get the practice, to treat sex problems. And it's remarkable to me how many couples therapists or or marriage therapists or whatever you call them, relationship therapists have zero grounding in sex problems. And if they, you know, and, and that, or they don't want to, they just don't want to talk about sex problems. It's like, no, no, I've got to, I can't talk about that. And it's just like, what, really? You know, but then it's, it's also, it's good, I guess, to know your limitations. And then you refer out to someone who is more, more competent than you in that area rather than say the wrong thing. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, I often, when I'm talking to other therapists or even OBGYNs, I get this a lot from like doctors that they don't, they don't have the background in sexuality, which is, that just blows me away that the body mechanics of the world aren't taught about sexuality the way that we are and that we all should be. Every single helper out there should be ready to tackle basic sexuality issues. And I just love that you are out here doing this. I do have a I do have a question about like what you've seen, maybe the differences or the similarities between like your work across the world and here in the US. Something I see a lot from my clients is religious wounds around sex. Have have you like seen that across the world and and what what have you seen? I mean, it's interesting. In the work that I've done across the world, I have worked with people who are particularly religious, including people of the clergy. So, and for me, that's fine. I don't especially identify as religious myself, but I'm very comfortable working with people who do identify as religious from a variety of religions. Because what I find with religious folk who are open minded about sex is that there is a willingness to embrace possibility and a willingness to embrace creative thinking in ways that perhaps, uh, let's say, atheist communities can be a little bit shut off to. So that there is there is there is certainly benefit to that on one hand, and then conversely, on the other hand, when scripture and dogma get in the way of allowing a person to experience themselves in the totality of the way that they are experiencing themselves, that's when it can become a problem. Because, you know, when when religion interferes with pleasure, we end up with what we really call a mind-body split. And so the mind is saying, this is not okay, I shouldn't be doing this, I can't go ahead like this, and the body is saying, oh, but gosh, I really like it. And and this is when it becomes a, a real problem for folks, especially if they've been indoctrinated with a philosophy that insists that the body is a shameful place and that pleasure is is an unnecessary even kind of you know problematic sensation because it 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 means that there's no option there's no possibility for integrating joy into the erotic experience 
And religion can often have some really unhelpful ideas about gender. It can have some really unhelpful ideas about right and wrong. Sometimes the thinking can lead to very what I call black and white thinking, that this is good and this is bad, this is right and this is wrong. And the trouble with that thinking for some people is that it can lead to a narrowness of expression. And what I say to people is if you only see the world in in black and white, you will always miss the rainbow in the middle. And this is where most of us get our joy sexually is in these in-between places. And because American culture is so influenced by Christianity, sometimes I, I observe conversations that happen that are influenced by religion that I, I wonder how well it's serving the citizens of this country. I absolutely fundamentally agree with you. And I think sometimes when people have these conversations, people will mistake them for political. And, and I do not believe that this is a political conversation. I think it is a mental health conversation. And I believe our sexuality fits squarely within our mental health. And if we have practices in our life, whether they be religious or not, that limit that and create that. I love that how you characterize that, that mind-body split. Yeah. Then it is a hurdle that is very difficult to overcome. People can, and I know you've worked with people who've been able to, and I've been working with people who've been able to address these things. And the pain that we see them go through is so significant. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, I mean, when I have worked with people who are religious and and we've had breakthroughs, it's because we've integrated their spiritual beliefs into our practices rather than pushing them aside. So again, it's not about an either or. It's not about, well, you know, you have to choose between sex and God. You can have both. You absolutely can have both. And together we work out how that's going to fit, you know. That can take a bit of unpacking for people, but I like to really invite people to reframe the notion that that those two things are diametrically opposed because they they don't have to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we're done today, what is one of the big things that you've taken from this process of now you are, I'm just going to call you the world sex therapist because I feel like (laughs) you deserve that title. Um, (laughs) So now that you are the sex therapist of the world, like what, what are some of the takeaways making this big trek that you've taken now that you've kind of maybe even put into practice in your practice in, in New York and online? I mean, I'm still sort of blazing my trail here, sort of reestablishing myself on the other side of the world. But I mean, the work is fundamentally, the work is the same. I'm integrating a little bit more emotional processing and relationship skills than I had been using previously. But that's not necessarily because I'm in the Northern Hemisphere now. I think there's just been a bit of a cultural shift, particularly, this is my observation. Again, I don't have data to back this up, but this is what I've seen. Since the Me Too movement started, emotions have been sky high. And that's a good thing. And it's a necessary public conversation. And also because emotions are sky high, and this is coming from all parts of the gender spectrum, all sides, you know, everyone's got very strong emotions about Me Too and what it's brought up for people across the board. What that has meant 
is that now in my work, I'm seeing a lot more opportunity to teach people how to do complicated emotion regulation, really working with effective communication skills and primarily listening skills, actually teaching people how to listen. I'm laughing over here because I'm doing the same thing, Cindy. Yeah, you know, because everyone has an opinion on this Me Too stuff, which is fine, and I get it. I have opinions on it too. So, and it's, again, it's not about right and wrong necessarily. I mean, there's some fundamental basic right and wrongs, but, you know, there's a lot of textured nuance. And when everyone's talking and nobody's listening, what happens is we end up with inflamed emotions, broken hearts, a lot of ego, and nobody nobody's progressing. So a big shift that I'm doing now at an international level is bringing more consciousness and more awareness to I guess what's traditionally called the soft skills about being able to have difficult conversations about sex that don't result in arguing, that don't result in alienation and actually result in, you know, emotional intelligence. Yes. You're teaching people how to human, Cindy. That's what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and not at the expense of pleasure, you know, integrating right. pleasure as well. That's right. Being human equals this pleasure, right? Like we get to have that. It's not this thing, again, that is supposed to be segmented and, and differentiated from the whole part of the system of human that we are. So thank you so much for being on this show. I am just so flabbergasted that I'm getting to talk to you. How do people find you in the world and what do you have coming up? My website is cindydarnell.com, C-Y-N-D-I-D-A-R-N-E-L-L. So it's spelled like Cindy Lauper. I just a month ago released a new online program called the Desire Series, which is designed for individuals or partners who are experiencing either mismatched libidos or low libido or anything to do with with uh, libido and desire. This program is a really delicious and comprehensive intensive program that you do at home. It's an online uh, video course. And there are 18, no, 19 videos, 18 modules, and like a 100-page workbook that goes with it. So it's really comprehensive. And I say that not to put people off. I really encourage people to access this program because it is the equivalent of working with me on a weekly basis if you were doing six months of intensive therapy with me. And I made it because I want this work to get out in the world and I want for folks to be, because, you know, and I'm sure you probably see this in your practice too, one of the biggest, most common problems that folks come to me for is either low libido, mismatched libido, something to do with the libido or the desire is not quite how it should be, could be, want to be, you know, something like that story. So, and I recognize too that not everybody has the money for therapy. So this is a way of getting the same fundamental core information that I would offer if they were doing six months of therapy with me, but at a fraction of the cost. So that way they can do the program at home themselves. And then if they want to have a top up, then they can maybe just see me for one or two sessions as they're going along to, to get the support they need. But mostly it's, it's comprehensive enough that folks can actually get through it on their own. 
That is so awesome. And I will make sure everybody that all of this is in the show notes so that you can find it. And I am so glad you did this course. I'm going to refer it to my clients. I'm going to refer it to everyone because we do. This is a this is a common thing that many sex therapists out here, no matter where you are in the world, are trying to tack- tackle is this this complaint of mismatched libido. Yeah, it's it's really pervasive and it needn't be. It needn't be. Absolutely. So thank you again, folks. Thank you for sticking around to the end. Don't forget to jump on that iTunes, that purple icon and rate five stars. We, this is how all wonderful interviews like this get found for whatever Apple's algorithm requires it of us. (laughs) So (laughs) thank you again for being with us. Everybody have a wonderful week and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the Gram, and Twitter. See you all next time.